And we're going to look at this together. Genesis 21, verse 1. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Let's stop there for just a second. I just want you to note how often in Moses' writing, we run into this picture where God does exactly what he said. And Moses writes it that way. He always says, and God took note of Sarah just as he said, and he kept his promise just like he promised, right? And he does it over and over and over again to remind us that our God is a God of a promise. And so we pick up the story there in verse one, and now it's been 25 years since God made his promise to Abraham and Sarah. But I want you to notice something here. When God says he's gonna do something, you can take it to the bank. That's our God. He's a God who keeps his promises. When he says he's going to do something, take it to the bank because he is going to do it. It may not happen the way you thought. It may not happen the way you would do it if you were in charge of this whole thing. But God is always, always going to keep his promises. Verse 2, so uh, Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age and at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. I just can't read past that verse without shivering a little bit. He's a hundred when he performs this surgery. I hope <laughs> he was wearing his reading glasses. But he, he obeys God, circumcises his son, right? And then it says, now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Verse six, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. They're 190, respectively, when their son is born. And so they name him. Does anybody remember what the name Isaac means? Laughter. They named him Laughter. Now that's a funny name. We know people named Isaac today. It's no big deal. He was named Laughter. Why was he named Laughter? Because when he told Abraham about it, he laughed. When he told Sarah about it, she laughed. And God said, really, you're going to laugh at me? You're going to remember that day every time you call your son in for dinner. He's going to be named Laughter. And so there's Isaac as he's growing up and he meets somebody. Hi, my name's Isaac. My friends call me Giggles. Right? (laughs) That's his name. And Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90. So I think laughter is a very appropriate name. And Sarah thought so too. She says, people are going to laugh with me now. After all these years that people have been laughing at her, now they're going to laugh with me. I just want you to picture this. Can you imagine? Because we've heard this story before. We're used to the craziness of this. Think about this. If you know anyone who's 100 years old or in that age bracket... I just want you to picture that person having an infant, right? 
when you're 100 or 90 and you have a newborn, you have to do everything twice. You mash up the baby's food, you mash up your food, right? Yeah, right? The baby walks a little wobbly, you walk a little wobbly. The baby's drooling all over, you're drooling all over. You change the baby's diaper, you get, right? I mean, sorry, if you're in that age group, you have to be at least 100 to be mad at me, then you can send me a letter about that. Um, but you guys, it's laughable. This, this miracle that God does, and she's excited because she says, all these years we've been telling people we're gonna have a kid, and we've been barren, and we're old, and they've laughed at us. And now they're gonna laugh with us. I bet she loved going out into the market with the, carrying the baby with that little you know, thing that covers up for nursing that she's wearing around at 90. She must have loved that. that. Every time people said, oh, is that your great, great, great grandchild? No, this is my son. Really? That's worth laughing about. And they laughed with joy. This is the most joyous time of their lives. So at the appropriate time, they throw a party. Verse eight, look at it again. It says, the child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Have you ever been to a birthday party for a one-year-old? Of course you have. It's the most wonderful party you could ever go to, right? Every time I hear there's a birthday party for a one-year-old, I scratch my head. I go, who, who is this for? And somebody says, it's for the parents. No, it's not for the parents. Let me be clear. It's for the mom. Okay? Just be honest. I've been the dad at these parties. I'm telling you, it's for the mom, right? So, and you got to come to this party and you got to bring, you know, $50 gift and, and then all you get to see some cake smashed in a kid's face and you're supposed to think that's great. And, and we do that in our culture. In their culture, they did not do one-year-old birthday parties. They did a birthday party when the child was weaned, which was usually around three to four years old. Now, there's a reason for this. In their culture at this time, the infant mortality rate was through the roof. These kids didn't usually live. And so, and so by the time a child was weaned, his chances of surviving now were outstanding. In fact, in many of these cultures, they didn't even name the child till he was weaned. Because why do you want to develop a relationship with one who's just going to be taken away from you? This was the norm for them. So when you get this child, this long-awaited child, can we say crisis pregnancy child? Like this is a crisis pregnancy, right? And when this child is born, that's reason for celebration. But when he makes it to the point of weaning, it is time to throw the biggest feast anybody has ever seen in that area. Abraham is the richest guy in the area and he's throwing a feast and everybody is invited because his promised child has now been weaned. And so they have this party. Now, that means Isaac's three or four years old when this party happens. And let's not forget his half-brother Ishmael, who was 13 during the pregnancy. So now he's 16 or 17. Ishmael now has a driver's license. 
Ishmael now has a letterman's jacket. Ishmael now walks around with earbuds in his ears all the time and doesn't know when his parents are talking to him, right? Ishmael now has a cool girlfriend. Ishmael's got all that stuff going on. He is the rich kid in his community. He's the only son of the richest guy in the community. He's the man. And in his family, he's always been the man. He's been the golden child since the beginning, right? His parents' only child. And his dad has undoubtedly doted on him. But now he's an older teenager and he sees this baby. And he knows that the handwriting is on the wall. He understands that he went from being the golden child to second best. He knows that he's no longer the heir. And his mother knows it too. And that's where the story gets awkward. Because Abraham is doing the best he can to keep his blended family together. One son from one woman, uh, another son from the other woman, both women living in the same compound, having to deal with one another all of the time. And the situation is tense and everybody at the family, at the party can feel it. And it's just a matter of time before the teenager can be counted on to create some drama, right? So look what happens in verse 9. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. Sarah notices that big brother is mocking little brother. And we don't know why, but if you've ever been around brothers, you can figure it out. He probably looked silly when he was swinging at the pinata, right? And so he's mocking him. Or maybe he looks dumb in his party hat, so he's mocking him. But his, the teenage brother is mocking the um, preschool brother. And Sarah sees it. And to say the least, she gets mad. Verse 10, therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. So can't you picture this? It's a party. Everybody's celebrating. She catches out of the corner of her eye. Ishmael is mocking his little brother, and she loses it. And she sees Abraham over there, and she goes, Right? And he's like, and she's like, okay. He comes over. They go behind the tent. He's like, what's going on? And, and she goes, that woman, right? You, can, you know, her teeth were clenched, right? When she was saying this, that Egyptian woman, that slave woman that you slept with, that woman, I want her out of here. And I want her son out of here. Because I have had it up to here with these people, and I'm not putting up with this one more second. I want them out of here. And Abraham is caught between a rock and a hard place because he loves both sons. See, we can, we can sort of paint the picture of the emotions going on between these women, and that's one thing. But over here, Abraham has some emotions too. And he loves both of his sons. Ishmael has been his only son for 13 years. 
until Isaac was born. That is a lot of t-ball games. That is a lot of fishing trips. That is a lot of father-son, heart-to-heart talks. That's a whole relationship between a father and his son. Remember back in chapter 17, Abraham actually asked God in chapter 17 to forget about Isaac and make Ishmael the heir. Go back to chapter 17. Let's look at this real quick again. Chapter 17, just go back a couple pages. 17, 17. God and Abraham are talking. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. There it is. And said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, I'm going to give you this son. And he laughed and said, listen, God, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm 100 and she's 90 and we've been barren our whole lives. So how about you just bless Ishmael? I mean, Ishmael, my son, you already gave me a son. Why don't you just bless Ishmael? Verse 19, but God said, no, but Sarah, your wife will bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. That's when God made him call him laughter. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I will bless him and I will make him fruitful and I will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. And when we finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. So Abraham, to say the least, is greatly distressed because Sarah is now saying, get rid of this kid. He loved him so much, he was willing to let him be his only son. He wanted him to be the heir. And seeing Abraham's dilemma, God steps in and reminds him of his promise to make the most of plan B, which we just saw in chapter 17. If you go back to chapter 21 and pick it up in verse 12, listen, But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. Listen, Abraham, I gave you the plan all along. But you decided to take matters into your own hands. You thought my plan wasn't good enough, so you went with your own plan. And now there's two sons and two moms and all the drama that comes with that situation. Your plan B, Abraham, has messed things up, God says. But don't worry, because I am great at cleaning up messes. I have a plan that doesn't get thrown off because of your stupid mistakes. He says, I will take care of this boy. I'll make him a great nation. And you don't have to worry about him. But make no mistake, Isaac is the child of promise. Listen, when we've gotten off God's plan for our lives and we've moved on to plan B, 
it is very hard to go back to plan A, okay? And I think that sometimes we preachers don't make this clear. We talk about repentance like it's easy. Like, oh, it's no big deal. You, 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 you sinned against God. You took off in the wrong direction. You've been going in that direction. And there's all this, this baggage that comes with going that direction for a long time. And now you're just going to stop and leave all that and get back on track like it's no big deal. Guys, it's a big deal. Repentance is costly. Repentance is difficult. This is why God tells us not to get off track in the first place. Because repentance is hard. And this is hard for Abraham because he put a plan B in place and God said, I'm not done with plan A. It's time for you to trust me. It is time for you to get back on track. And it can be painful to walk away when your life has been about plan B for some time. It's bad for your reputation. It creates all kinds of distress in your life. There's fear. There's there's often a longing for the old ways, even when you've gotten things right and you've gotten back on track. But you can't call your own shots and follow God at the same time. You just can't. It just doesn't happen. It can't work that way. So there's going to be a battle that is about who's going to be in charge of your life. Either God is going to be in charge and you're going to experience the blessings of following him, or you're going to be in charge and good luck to you. But you can't be both ways. You can't call your own shots and follow God at the same time. You can't walk on your own path and follow the path of God at the same time. God sees you. He knows you've messed up. He knows that you've gotten your heart set on plan B. But if you want to experience all that God has for you, if you want to live the life that he sent Jesus to die on the cross to give you, you're going to have to let go of your plan B and trust God to put you back on the right path. Look at verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. That is a sad verse. I can't even fathom this for any of them. But as a father, I can relate to Abraham and I cannot picture how you do this. He, he, he gives her uh, a skin of water and a loaf of bread and pushes her out of the tent with the boy. And they're, they're gone. They're wandering in the wilderness. It took a lot of faith to obey God on that one. It took a lot of courage to obey God on that one. And, and, you know, I've been taking my shots at Abraham throughout this study, right? He's messed up plenty of times to give us some examples. But I got to hand it to him on this one. Because this is hard. And he's obeying God. And he does it first thing in the morning. God appears to him at night, and first thing in the morning, he gets up and deals with what God told him to deal with. And you know what I think? I think if he waited for the afternoon, it never would have happened. 
I think sometimes we put off responding to God's calls in our lives, thinking we'll get to it, and we never do. And, and God speaks to us about something we need to walk away from, or something we need to give up, or some change that needs to take place in our lives, and we hear it in our hearts, and we know God's speaking to us. And we go, yeah, I, I'm going to need to give that one some thought. You know, I'm probably going to need to pray about that. I'm going to need to get around to that. One of these days, I know I'm going to have to say no to that, but not today. I'm so thankful that Abraham stepped up and said yes to God, even when it was this difficult. And he sets this example of faith for us. Sooner or later, you have to say yes to God, or you're going to miss out on the plan that God has for your life. When are we going to trust God enough to actually do what he says? Because your flesh and, your, and the spirit of God will always be at war this side of heaven. So, so don't sit and wait for it to get easier. As you walk in your sin, it doesn't get any easier to walk away from. Your old ways will always trip you up from following God until you leave him behind. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. I know it will be painful, but some of us just need to cut the cord and stop walking in the flesh or we're never going to do it. We need to learn to walk in God's plan A for our lives. It was time for Abraham to let go of his plan and embrace obedience to God. So he gave her some bread and some water and he trusted God to take it from there and he put them out of the camp. And it doesn't say this in the passage, but I'll bet you dollars to donuts that he went right back into his tent, fell flat on his face, and cried his eyes out. Sometimes it's really hard to say yes to God. But he had made his choice. He was going to obey God even if he didn't understand. He was going to obey God even if it cost him. And so Hagar and Ishmael find themselves at the mercy of God. No alimony, no child support, just some bread and water. And they are left to face the wilderness alone. But of course, we know they weren't really alone, were they? Look at verse 15. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes, they found some shade in the wilderness. You, you take the shade, she says to her son. And then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away, for she said, do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. God heard the lad crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not, do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad, and he grew. And he lived in the wilderness, and he became an archer. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is a familiar story, isn't it? 
Remember, it's just a couple chapters ago that we found Hagar out in the wilderness meeting an angel from God, right? Remember when she was pregnant with Ishmael and she and Sarah got into it and she said, I'm out of here. And she took off and she went to the wilderness, right? And an angel met her as she was wandering in the same wilderness then. And the angel spoke to her and promised her, I will bring this child to birth. I will bless this child. I will take care of this child and I will make a great nation of this child. You don't have to worry. Stop running and go back to your master's house, right? This already happened. And because when she's out there and he's in the shade and she's out in the open sunlight and they're both crying and they're both dying and an angel shows up and says, what's the matter with you? That sounds like a stupid question, doesn't it? What's the matter with me? Have you been paying attention? Do you see what's going on here? Anytime you're reading scripture and God or an angel asks a stupid question, stop and ask why. God is trying to remind her that she's already been in this position. He's trying to remind her that she's already had this conversation. He's trying to remind her that she's already received a promise from God regarding this boy and that she seems to have forgotten. Because guys, there are times when it's so easy for us to be blinded by our circumstances that we lose sight of the God who never lose sight of us. God has not lost sight of this unemployed single mother. He sees her. He hears her cry. He knows what's going on. He hasn't lost sight of her. And I want to tell you something today. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, he hasn't lost sight of you either. He sees your circumstances. He hears your cry. If you remember back when she met the angel the first time, the angel said, uh, you're going to name him Ishmael. What does Ishmael mean? God hears. God hears. God has heard your cry. I'm going to have you name this child Ishmael so you never forget I'm the God who hears. And she said to him, essentially, you're not just the God who hears, you're the God who sees. And she named him the God who sees, right? So she knows him as the God who hears her cry and the God who sees everything that's going on in her life. But somehow because of her circumstances, she's lost that. She doesn't remember that. And she has to be reminded God sees your circumstances. God hears your cries. And if you will put your trust in him, he will meet you right where you are and take you from there and provide all of your needs. Will you trust him for that? That's the question. God gave them water. I mean, <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. They're about to die because of, the, of thirst, right? And then suddenly she looks up and there's a well right there. Now, it doesn't say that God made a well appear out of nowhere. It says God re removed the blindness from her eyes. God had not allowed her to see the well because she needed to put her trust in God. 
And now when God came through the angel and pointed her to the well, she realized it was God who provided, not her who found it. Do you see? Do you see why God sometimes lets us walk through these times of darkness where he doesn't answer our questions? It's not because he doesn't hear. It's not because he doesn't know. It's not because he doesn't have the power. It's because he's doing something in us to teach us to trust him. And so God gave them water. He kept them alive. And eventually, Ishmael got married and started his life. And he did become a great nation. All of the Arab peoples come from Ishmael. But his descendants went their own way. And they followed false gods. And, and his great, 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 great grandson, Muhammad, changed the scripture. Said Ishmael is the chosen one and created a religion called Islam. And that has been a thorn in the side of God's people ever since. Because God will call you to follow him, but you have to decide to do it. God will call you to follow him, but you have to act on his calling. Isaac became the child of promise. Not perfect. Wait till we start studying his life. You're going to think, oh my gosh, he's just like his father. <laughs> Not perfect, but the child of promise, the one who followed after God, the one who stayed faithful to his relationship with God, his journey of faith, he becomes a child of promise. Ishmael becomes the father of Islam. And God had a plan and a calling for both lives. One son responded in faith and became the conduit through which God brought the Messiah to bless the nations. The other went his own way, and that choice has led to tragedy. And God has you here today in this room listening to some guy go on and on about Genesis 21. Do you think that's a mistake? Do you think that perhaps God is trying to speak to you about the example that we see in these dear people? Do you think that perhaps there's something that applies to your life, that God wanted you here today to hear this? Man, if you're here today, there's a million other places you could be right now. But God brought you here to hear this message from his word. Because God wants to remind you, God sees you. God hears you. God has a plan for your life, and it is way better than whatever substitute you've been settling for. But you're going to have to let go of some things to follow him. He will call you, but you have to respond to his call if you want to experience his plan. I know you've gotten off track somewhere along the way. I know you've tried to do things your own way. We all have. But God is making you a gracious offer this very day, this very moment, to follow him and experience his awesome plan for your life. How will you respond? See, I don't know what it is that God brought you here for today that he's speaking to you in your heart about. I don't know 
if there's a, there's a particular habit in your life that God is, is saying, you know what, it's over. It's not going to rule you anymore. It is time for you to experience the freedom that Jesus came to give you. And as you sit here and you think about that habit that you just haven't been able to kick, and God is saying, hey, listen, will you trust me with this? Will you just put it aside and say yes to me? Maybe it's some sort of poisonous relationship that you know you shouldn't have been in for a long time, but you're just like codependent and tied up and you don't know how to get out. And God is saying, stop looking for meaning in life outside of me. Maybe, maybe there's some bitterness in your heart because somebody who's hurt you and, and you just don't even want to let go of it. And God says, I'm not going to make you let go of it. You can stay bitter and miserable or you can trust me and forgive and I'll set you free. I don't know what God might want to talk to you about, but here's what I would say. Whatever he's talking to you about is not for you to do tomorrow. It's for you to respond to today. Because if we put it off, we usually don't get to it. How will you respond to a God who reaches out to you and says, I see you in plan B, but I'm telling you, I can get you to plan A from where you're at. How will you respond to a God like that? Let's bow our heads together. I want to just give you a few moments of silent prayer time. Because maybe you already know what you need to talk to God about and it's between you and God and you don't need the rest of us in on it. Or maybe you need to ask God to search your heart and let you know, Lord, what is it that you want to set me free from and where is it you want to take me? Or maybe you just need to confess and maybe you just need to cry out and let him hear your voice. But I just want to give you the next 30 seconds or a minute to just talk to God on your own and then I'll close. Father, it seems that every time we open your word, we're confronted by a picture of your grace. And we're reminded of how desperately we need your grace. So, Father, as children of grace, we are before you now, heads bowed and humbly presenting ourselves to you. We ask you, Father, to meet us where we're at. Each one of us in a different place, and you know how to meet us there. Each one of us with a different struggle, each one of us with a different pain, each one of us believing a different lie, and you want to set us free, God. And so we've come to meet you today at the foot of the cross where grace is dispensed. 
And I ask you for grace sufficient for each situation in each life. Father, for, for the strength to repent, for the faith to be obedient, for the courage to trust you more than we trust ourselves. It's hard for us, God. Repentance will cost us something, but Lord, not repenting will cost us so much more. So help us in our weakness. Pull us from the pit. Set our feet upon the rock that we might know your plan A by experience. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.